You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Untold Stories of Broadway podcast. I'm excited to present episode two with today's guest, Anel Nathan, and more stories about the Marquee Theater. Did you have any favorite part of Millie that you would watch that you weren't or that oh, you weren't in? Um, gosh, I loved so much of it. I was always, I, I mean, I will say I was really in awe of those dancers mm-hmm. because they're just amazing. I mean, the people in that show and what they had to do and what they did brilliantly every day. So I would absolutely watch the opening number from The Wings. And yeah, I, I found it fascinating. And I did, when we did the reunion concert, it was the same thing. I just would sit there in The Wings going, I just can't believe... The, the astonishing talent that the gypsies, I'm not allowed to say that anymore. I'm like, what, what do I say now? What do they say instead? Well, I want to be correct. Well, I guess instead of the gypsy robe. But what I is it? just say the ensemble. The ensemble. Right? Yeah. But yes, the ensemble was amazing in that show. And I, you know, I, when we saw each other after so many years, it's like no time had passed. And yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. So that's what I watched a lot of. Um, I also have to nerd out. So the other shows that have played the marquee, the Goodbye Girl played the marquee, and I have always been obsessed with that cast recording. Um, Nick and Nora was. A pretty- I saw that too. Oh my gosh! I, I, I saw can't both of those did. shows. You did? Yes. What do you remember? Yes. I don't remember that much. Yeah. I just the Goodbye Girl score is like one of my. Faves. It's such a good score. So good. So good. Totally. Um, tell me, so uh, you know, we were chatting about Liz Larson having been there yes. with the Yankees. Um, this is a great marquee story. So. Yes, I, I may get some of it wrong, <laughs> no. but uh, and I actually have a call. Let me see if Liz texted me back. She didn't text me back yet, but uh, Hector, who is one of our doormen, our dear uh, departed doormen. He was closing up one night, and he got locked into one of the dressing rooms. (laughs) And apparently it was right after opening, I think. So there was not much in there. I think there was, like, booze. But he was stuck there till the cleaning crew came. (laughs) So he was locked in dressing room. And this was not – there was no cell phone. Like, I think it was before there were cell – like, in the 80s, people didn't really – I think it was, like, 94. 94. Did they have – I don't know. I'm confused. I don't think that Hector brought a cell phone with him. Yeah, he was just locking up. He was just locking up. (laughs) He was just locking up the room. So he got stuck in there. And, I mean, I'm sure it was horrible for him, but that story I find endlessly entertaining, knowing what that – and I heard it was for like two days. Yeah, it was, it was like, for, I think it was like a day off, like yeah. a Sunday to Tuesday. Oh my gosh. Um, I apologize if I got the dates wrong, no, but I no, remember that story. I'm thinking yeah. that, I don't remember whose dressing room it was though. Yeah. 
Um, there's some good stories. Damn Yankees. That Damn Yankees revival. That's also a great cast recording. Kids at home, go listen to that. Yes. Um, so I'm going to read a story from Lin-Manuel Miranda about the Cape Man, um, which is another fascinating musical that played the marquee. Uh, so this is from, uh, you know, the Cape Man happened in 1998 is what you need to know. Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's hard for me to talk about The Cape Man because it was influential in both good and bad ways. The show opened during my senior year of high school, and I was directing West Side Story when it came out. The Cape Man was written by and starring my heroes, and I built it up to this impossible level in my mind. I loved Paul Simon's album, Songs from the Cape Man, that predated the show's debut. Paul Simon has just never written a bad song. My dad gave me toxic dosages of Reuben Blades as a kid. Mark Anthony was the Latin guy I discovered for myself. I think if you interview any second-generation Hispanic kid, there's their music that their parents listened to that they kind of tuned out, and then there's the first one that made them go, wait a minute, what are you listening to? What is he talking about? Mark Anthony was that for me. So I thought the Cape Man was going to be the second coming of Christ. That's the only way I can describe it. And it just wasn't. It's not the show's fault, but it wasn't. It made me think, on a moral level, what were the chances that two musicals 40 years apart could depict not just Latinos as gang members, but specifically as knife-wielding murderers from the 1950s? What a tiny subset of the community to get so much treatment on the stage. That's the great blessing and curse of West Side Story. It's such a good show that if you ask people all over the world what they think of when they hear a Puerto Rican, they're going to say West Side Story. And sometimes they're going to think of a Greek guy with brown makeup. That's the mental thought. It's not their fault. It's a great, popular, and enduring show. I actually took my West Side Story high school cast to see the Cape Man. I had a cast of white and Asian sharks since I went to a mostly white school. I taught them all to be Puerto Rican. That was the fun of directing West Side Story. I brought my dad in and he did dialect coaching and I really used the show as a teachable moment <laughs> and a way to bring my culture into school. I saw the Cape Man three times during previews and it broke my heart. There was so much good in it and it died so quickly. It felt like the great Latino hope and they had a float in the Puerto Rican Day Parade. There were a ton of Latino actors getting work and I remember thinking, I'm never going to have a career in the theater. That was our one big shot and it went away so fast. Then I spent a couple of years trying to fix the Cape Man in my head. I tried to find a structure to support all of the songs I liked and make it work. I thought, maybe if you cut the jail stuff, you stick to the 1950s stuff. I did that with the Cape Man for two years, and then I started writing in the Heights. At a certain point, you go, this is never going to be your dream show. This is what it is. Heights came out of that in a weird way, at least in the way that I knew no one was going to hold a knife in the show. That story exists, and it's a real story, but it's not the story I wanted to tell. It's been very well represented already. Wow. Wow. I just, it's crazy. Like it, that story reminds me so much of, um, Hal Prince and Stephen Sondheim trying to fix Allegro and like all the apocryphal stories of them being like with company with Marilu, you know, we were trying to fix Allegro and I'm like, that's so, it's a, I don't yeah, know, legacy. Incredible. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so going back to the legacy of the marquee yeah. and Millie, um, you had an interesting, um, track in that you also understudied. I did. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like? Well, Jan, not my favorite experience. Um, basically I didn't want to do it and really for two reasons. One was I was so happy with the role that I had got to do every night that I didn't want to not do that role. But also, I don't want to wake up every morning and wonder if I'm on or not. It mm -hmm. just stresses me out. Mm -hmm. So I had to understudy Shirley Ralph and Harriet Harris. Uh, but I fortunately had it in my contract that they would have a standby because I, I just knew enough even back then to go, I don't want on opening week to be freaking out and if there was someone who could stand by. Uh, I ended up, I never went on for Shirley. I ended up going on for Harriet and I was not great. And uh, so I was first, this is my favorite story. I was bumped up to first cover. 
And then I went on for a week. And then I got a call from Michael Mayer saying, you're no longer first cover. <laughs> and I was like, great. Can I keep the raise? I mean, honestly, that's what, it, that, this is just a very uh, raw story, yeah. but I'll tell you, it was, it was, it was that simple. I was, he didn't love me in the role. I'd never felt great in the role. I felt like it was such a role that Harriet did so brilliantly mm -hmm. and I missed my own role. So after two weeks, I went back down to second cover. And uh, so it wasn't my favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, you know, doing our show, mm -hmm. Broadway Bounty Hunter, um, of course I did get to do it once a week, so it's a whole different thing, but I loved doing that show. So it just depends on what it is and how it feels on you. Yeah, it's so funny, but um, in like interviewing now, listing your credits, I feel like I'm doing Broadway Bounty Hunter because your credits are listed in the show. I'm like, Daniel <laughs> Nathan from once <laughs> and Thoroughly Modern Millie. Um, yeah, uh, it's so interesting to me also though, because uh, to me, like Miss Flannery, because I worshiped Millie so much, it was like, I couldn't believe that that role would understudy on the role. I'm like, no, you were meant to be Miss Flannery all the time. And I think it was just like, you know, when you're putting together a show, you have to cover everybody. Mm -hmm. And they wanted two covers for roles. And I, I have to say, just sidebar, when I was in La Jolla, I was um, Tanya Pinkins' cover. And she missed once. And there were no costumes, so they, they I'm not even making this up, I put on like a Cassie from Chorus Line bodysuit and wrap skirt <laughs> and character shoes. And they put my hair in a bun and they put a flower. So I was like, who is that famous cabaret singer? Oh. Who had, you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, 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 yes. I had a huge, Julie, Julie, Julie Wilson. Wilson. Yes. Huge flower in my hair. Julie Wilson. And I did it like, I thought, well, I guess I'll do it like Bette Midler. That makes sense. Like, I'll do that. And in the middle of Jazz Baby, <laughs> there was a blackout. <laughs> and I never got to finish the show. Oh, my God. So I there's not know that story. Yeah, so I was like, off. and it was Jazz Baby, which is was not in the Broadway reduction. Right. I remember, like, with my flower and my wrap skirt, and we were just, it was, we were just laughing so hard. And then blackout, and then uh, we... We went home. I never got to do the the rest of the show. Oh my god! What a there crazy understudy roller coaster. <laughs> yes. Um, what do you remember about the show after it won the Tony? Like, did it feel different? Like, how long were you with it? Well, the thing about any show that wins a Tony is you just breathe a sigh of relief when it's done. You're so proud, and then you know you you figure you don't always know because I did do Assassins, which won many Tonys, and still closed a month later. But most of the time, if you win some Tonys, you know you're going to work for a while. So you're so elated that you're going to have a job. Um, so I remember that. I also remember that was in the day where they awkwardly made the cast stand in the wings during the Tony Awards. Oh, wow. So they had, like, they make you stand in the wings. And then if you won, they were like, you won. Go out there. And if you did, you're like, back on the bus. Oh, my God. For I real. forgot about that. No, of course. And thank goodness they got rid of that eventually. But it was... I remember that was just the most horrible thing. So the, with that show, it's just when, once you win those awards, you know you're going to have employment, and the audience is even more enthusiastic. And that show in particular kept building up steam. Mm -hmm. it, it really did. Like as the years went by, it just kept getting, yeah. you know, becoming a show that people loved more and more and more, which was very interesting too. So I think we were just very happy. And once you get, once the Tonys are over, also everybody relaxes. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're not doing press as much. You're not going, what are we going to do? What are we performing? What if we don't win? And you can just have a good summer. You can just totally. go have a drink with friends and go back to your life and enjoy the show at night. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um, one thing I always think about about the marquee is how the frontage used to be on Broadway. Um, do you remember like the marquee used to be on Broadway, the box office used to be on Broadway, and now it's around the corner on yes. 46th Street? Yes. Um, but apparently there are like phantom escalators. Like there were escalators that went up from the box office. This probably you didn't experience as much. You went in the stage door. But um, I always think that that's interesting. And that was that way because there weren't those shops on Broadway, which yeah. now it's like that's It's what... so weird. I just recently went to see Tootsie and I – went backstage after and I was so disoriented because yeah. it's so changed. Yeah. They rebuilt it. Yeah. They like changed everything. Yeah. So it is weird when you go back to a theater and you expect it to be one way and you're like, oh, you're like a little disappointed that it's not exactly the way you left it. Totally. Um, are there things about the marquee that like were very different than other Broadway theaters you've worked in? Yes. N- newer. Yeah. Cleaner, newer, um, bigger, all those things. Cause you get, I was so spoiled. Here I am with this small featured part I had my own dressing room, my own bathroom. I had a shower. I mean, it was ridiculous. That people could wave at you. And... Yes. <laughs> uh, it was so over the top. And then I went to, I mean, actually went after that to Studio, 50, to 50, Studio 54 and I had a very spacious dressing room with Kendrick Kessenbaum and Sally Wilford. So we were very lucky there. But most of the time, I mean, when I was in Chicago and I played Mama Morton, I shared a dressing with four of the girls. Like, right. most of the time you are in a tiny space. Like, we did it with Broadway Ballet yeah. Underwood. There were 17 people in that room. So to have a space like that that is spacious and newer mm-hmm. is, you know, very, very nice. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing about, during Thoroughly Modern Millie, I guess there were certain parts where um, people would play little practical jokes <gasps> in the wings. Oh, yes. <laughs> Tell us about yes. that. Yes. So, uh... Casey used to do this thing where he had this these puppets uh-huh. that were, I'm trying to remember if they were Millie puppets. They had all different kinds. They had a Miss Flannery puppet, a Millie puppet, a Gavin, like all different. And he would do these little puppet shows in the wings. <laughs> and depending on what was happening, like he'd do them on vacation. If they went, like it was every night. And I don't remember it as well, the specifics as well as some other people do because I don't, I don't know. I was in, maybe I was in the scene. You were but tapping. He would, I was tapping. I was busy. I was tapping. <laughs> But yes, he had these little puppets in the wings that he would do these puppet shows, and yeah, he's he very... was ready to direct. <laughs> yes, he was direct. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I love that, that was a show that truly had so many funny people. Yeah. I mean, everybody was hilarious. Yeah, tell us about, I guess, memories of people. Did you you feel like there was a lot of like bonding during that show? Oh my but... gosh, yes. We were always in each other's dressing rooms. Um, I mean, Francis Chu, the most adorable, funniest. Ken Leong, so, so great. Uh, Angie Christian, just like. Great people, and we did calendars. I remember us doing a uh, the girls from Millie calendar where we were. I mean, I I still have that calendar, and I I, I think we were half naked, which I can't believe I agreed to do that. <laughs> it seems ludicrous now that I would ever do that. But yeah, we did a lot of stuff like that, and it was just fun. I wish I had a big better memory of the specifics, but I don't because it was a long time ago. It was. No, I'm impressed by how much you remember. Um, this is a weird question I've never asked you. Was your wig heavy on one side? Oh. <laughs> that iconic no, wig. Go no, look up some production photos. I'm it, sorry. It was a little um, 
airy cone kind of oh, thing. So cool. it looked heavy, but it was just the, the hair wrapped around the cone. Okay. And that happened because uh, Paul Huntley, who did the wigs, had this other style for me, which I have a picture of at home somewhere, and it was more normal. It was it was not so crazy. Mm-hmm. And Michael Mayer came into the room, and he was like, no, I want this, and he drew this weird triangle. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Well, it was iconic. It still is iconic. I've seen like, you know, it's so, so many good. High school productions, they I don't they probably do have a heavy one side. They haven't figured out the cone. I don't yeah, know, I don't but. think so. I love that wig. It gave me everything yeah. character wise. I just thought she spends hours in the morning perfecting <laughs> that hairstyle to make sure that that cone is exactly right. Like she's proud of it. Do you know what else I just keep thinking about? Like, we're going to be in the 20s very soon. And so, like, it, it's, you know, you think of, I, literally, I think of Thoroughly Modern Millie when I think of the 20s, but next year we'll be in the 20s. It's so weird. Okay. It's totally weird. Um, I'm going to make you read one more story, Great. which is uh, Jonathan Graff talking about Thoroughly Modern Millie. Okay. I saw Thoroughly Modern Millie six times. The first time I saw it, I got standing room only tickets in the back of the theater. I was so impressed with Sutton Foster, I thought that she was giving a historic performance. The show also struck me because it was about her character moving to New York and starting her life. There was so much in it about New York City and being in love with the city and leaving your small town and making a name for yourself. As a teenager, that really spoke to me. I went back and saw it again and again. The fourth time I went to go see it, my friends and I got to New York and stood in line at the box office at 10 a.m. We could only afford standing room tickets, and those are only available when the show was sold out. But they told us that Billy was not sold out that day. We decided that we would go to TKTS line and pass out flyers for Thoroughly Modern Millie to try to get the show to sell out (laughs) so that we could then buy standing room only tickets. We just didn't have enough money for any other tickets. We passed out flyers for Thoroughly Modern Millie all day from 10 a.m. until 1.30 p.m. Then we went back to the theater and it still wasn't sold out. (laughs) I said to my friends, we're seeing the show. There's no way we're not seeing it. Since it was at the Marriott Marquis, we could go up the escalator into the hotel and be right in front of the lobby of the theater. We did, and I told the usher... I will literally give you all the money I have if you let us go in and see the show right now. The usher told us, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. You know you can stand here on the other side of the glass wall and watch it in the monitor. The overture started and Sutton started singing Not For The Life Of Me and we were just sitting outside the glass on the floor. We were also starving because we didn't eat all day. We wanted to keep passing out flyers. Then an usher came down from the mezzanine and brought us into the theater. We sat and my four friends and I watched a show from the fifth row of the mezzanine. It was amazing. I don't know who the usher was, but she was an angel. That makes me cry. I, know. <laughs> I mean, I think that these are these stories are so important for many reasons, but also it reminds you how lucky we are and how privileged we are to do this and how when we first started, it was just about this. Yeah. I mean, I have those stories. I remember seeing Sweeney Todd with Angela Lansbury and Lynn Cario, and it changed my life. Like Six Row Center, that was, and I was this huge Sondheim fan. I saw it, and then I went backstage after I met Joaquin Romaguero because my mother had a, some connection, and he did tell me when it, it, we, I said, "Do you have any advice?" And he said, "Don't do it." So I will <laughs> say that happened. But this is amazing. This story. Uh, you feel like Sweeney Todd was that for you? That um, I, I mean, I saw shows growing. My father, my parents took me to the theater all the time, so I saw a lot of shows that were life-changing mm-hmm. but that was one of those shows that was the kind of show I wanted to do mm-hmm. I was a huge Sondheim fan I wanted to do Sunday in the Park I like those you know a little more serious and you did shows. you did Sunday in the Park I on did. Broadway but after doing Millie that was the first kind of just fun musical I ever did I never did a show with showgirls never ever mm-hmm. they taught me how to do false eyelashes I just never had to do false eyelashes yeah. so getting to do this kind of a show made me want to do these kind of shows more and I don't get to do them as much as I like mm-hmm. because they're so filled with joy mm-hmm. but that thing is like I never was someone who would wait online for autographs mm-hmm. but I was obsessed like I saw every show 
And I still remember this. This is such a stupid, ridiculous story. I'm so embarrassed, but I will tell it anyway. I remember watching the Tonys, and John Rubenstein won for Pippin. I think that's correct. And he thanked his voice teacher. And I looked up his name in the phone book. And I said to my mom, can I call that voice teacher and ask for a voice lesson? Oh, my God. And my mom is so awesome. She was like, yes. She just let me well, want, be disappointed sh- you in my own way. enterprising young child. I called in the wanted. middle of the Tonys. <laughs> I was you like, I have to have his voice teacher <laughs> oh in the God. middle of the Tonys. So I understand this story. I love that. And sometimes I forget. Sometimes yeah. we get, you know, we get older and we've done a lot of it. So we forget how, what, that this is what it's about. Totally. That's a beautiful story. Yeah, I love that story. Um, I'm so amazed and jealous you saw the original Sweeney Todd. What were the other shows you saw when you were growing up that were like formative? Merrily. Oh my God. I saw Merrily. I that, know. When it was, I, I saw, Ooh. I saw Carrie. Oh my God. I saw Late Night Comic. You saw Late Night Comic? Yes. I, I mean, I went to the theater the a Ritz. lot. <laughs> I, I used to, I used to sometimes come in on, uh. Christmas when I didn't celebrate Christmas and you know go to I remember seeing um Gregory Hines in uh in uh help me well I'm trying to think what timeline it would have been Sophisticated Ladies which was that was an amazing show did you see that show yeah so that was one of those shows where you see it and you go I'm never gonna be able to do that that hurts me a little bit but I'm gonna (laughs) also celebrate it but I wish I could do that and I saw Jennifer Holiday do uh, Dream Girls out of town in Boston. Oh my god! And that was when no one did what Jenner. No one did that. Yeah, so no. people were freaking out, and that was another performance that I was sad because I thought oh, I can't do that. That's just not going to be my thing. Yeah. Was there something though about when you saw Sweeney Todd? You were like, I can do that. Yes, thing. Yeah. because I was like, this is this has everything I want. I yeah. love the story. I love the music. I love Angela Lansbury. I want to play these kind of parts. So a hundred percent. And I felt like that also seeing. Because those are the kind of shows I loved. I loved when I remember seeing Sunday in the Park and just completely freaking out. But when I was a little girl, I remember seeing Annie and, you know, tugging on my parents saying, I have to have an agent and I need to be an Annie. <laughs> I need to play Annie like every other kid who. Yeah. So that was our, when I was little, that was what everyone wanted to be when they were 11 or 12. Yeah. So that was a big, big deal. And my first show was that I ever saw was Fiddler. Mm-hmm. Wow. You got to see so many great shows. I did. Like, Amazing. And when I saw Fiddler, my parents said that my sister and I we were very young. I was five. My sister was three. And we sat like quietly and were entranced. And said the lady next to them, your kids are amazing. So then the next next week, they took us to see uh, Radio City Music Hall. And all we did was cry and run up and down the aisles. <laughs> and they were like, oops, I guess it's You're just. Like, it's Broadway. It's just Broadway. It's Broadway. Broadway or bus. Um, is there any Broadway theater that you haven't worked in yet that you'd like to work in the, that theater? Yes, but I don't know the names of them. Oh, it's okay. It's okay, so. Uh, where Moulin Rouge is playing. Oh, sure, the Hirschfeld. That one. Hirschfeld. I'm such a... It's am a I going to sound like theater. a total cod? No, no. I just don't no. know names. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, That's a beautiful theater. I actually feel very much like every time I work in a show, work on a show and I'm in a new theater that I've never been in, I get so excited that I'm in a theater I've never been at before. Yeah. So there are plenty. I mean, the Helen Hayes. Mm-hmm. It's so sweet and intimate and... But yeah, I'll, I'll take any job. Any <laughs> job. Anyone wants to hire me for a Broadway show, I would love to work in their theater. Theater. I just don't know the names of yeah. the theaters, apparently. A lot of people don't, actually. But you're teaching us. Yes, all of the nerderies, so we can all learn the Hirschfeld's right. name. Um, any final thoughts about Millie, about the Marquis, about those couple special years where we all copied your Tony performance in oh our bedrooms? God. No, I just I just <laughs> had the best time. Like, I just can't say enough great things about it. And getting to do that reunion concert, I think we all realized how deeply special it was because 
everyone said yes, pr pretty much. I think like one or two people didn't do it. And I still remember doing Forget About the Boy, which we all remembered. And Rob sat down to watch it and he just started crying. Like it was, it was just really, really special. And the journey was so strange to go from La Jolla and not knowing what that was going to be. And the, the full circle of it was really amazing. But I just remember it being, um, hundred percent joyful. Like I just don't remember having a lot of sadness when I was there and feeling, always knowing how lucky I was that I had this unique little role. And I got to have this like lovely dressing room in this great space with this great cast and crew. So it was just one of those that you, you have those shows that you keep chasing. You mm -hmm. want to have an experience like that. And that was one of those. I love that. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining me, Anne. Everybody go watch um, Anne L. Nathan's performance on the Tonys, the 2002 <laughs> Tonys on YouTube, and go listen to Thoroughly Modern Millie. And all the other marquee shows, too. Yay. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to The Untold Stories of Broadway, and thank you to our producer, Dory Berenstein, my publishers of The Untold Stories of Broadway, Brisa Trincaro and Roberta Pereira, Zach Zadek for that theme music, and thank you to all of you for listening to the podcast. You can buy The Untold Stories in book version on Amazon.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.